Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host, Connor Bromley, and I'm joined today by Felix Keith to talk all things Premier League. And it was a big weekend of Premier League football, a crazy Saturday, I would say, of Premier League football as well. We had some one guys results um, on Saturday afternoon, Newcastle 4, Luton 4, the main one that sticks out. But, you know, you also had Aston Villa going to Sheffield United and winning 5-0. But then on Sunday... That's where things kind of kicked up another notch. We had the huge game, which we're going to start with Arsenal defeating Liverpool 3-1. But we also had Man United beating West Ham as well. Chelsea falling apart again against Wolves. But we'll start, Felix, with Arsenal against Liverpool. How big a game is this in terms of the title race? Because you looked at how the league table would have looked if if Liverpool would have won. And... You sort of thought, well, Arsenal would have been out the title race in Man City. You know, they're going to be the ones chasing. But now the way things look, Man City with a win tonight and having a game at hand on top of that, they could be top of the league in no time. It could be the status quo game. But it looks like all three teams are going to be fighting for the title come the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a huge, huge result for Arsenal, which is easy to say after they won it. But like you say, if they'd lost, Liverpool, I think, were eight points uh, clear of them. You have to say, I mean, it's easy to look back on it, but you could say if they'd lost that they could have been out of the title race, Arsenal. So it's a massive win for them. They're definitely still in it. I think, again, a cynic would look at Man City with two games in hand. They obviously played Brentford tonight and say that if they win both of those, they're top. So... I mean, it's good for the neutral because we have a three-way title race as it is, definitely. Liverpool are still top. They've only lost two games all season. Arsenal, only a few points behind, back on track with three wins. So, I mean, it, it's definitely a big a big result. And yeah, for the neutral, it means potentially a three-way title race. Although, I think given how Man City have won five of the last six titles, how strong they are. I think a lot of people will still fancy them ahead of Liverpool and Arsenal for the title, even though they're third as we speak at the moment. Do you think that fans, neutral fans, people like me and you who don't really have a, you know, a ticket in this race, you know, we don't really care who wins the title coming in the season. But do you think it's, it's good or bad for fans that Man City now look like they're in pole position? Because I think I was in a way looking forward to seeing a different team win the league at the end of the year. And you kind of had this story building of Jurgen Klopp's final months at Liverpool and he was going to give them the 
the Premier League title and his pardon gift. I think the shame of it yesterday is, is that the pendulum has swung back in the favour of Manchester City. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a bit of that. But then I suppose for narrative-wise, all of this just playing, say if Liverpool do maintain that comeback and, you know, they win the title, you look back at this as like a moment where they may, they might galvanise themselves after this. You never know what's going to happen. And maybe it's a less good story if Liverpool just led from the front and just hopefully there'll be a bit of chopping and changing, you know, maybe Man City will go back top. And then, well, you don't know. They've they've so they've shown how good they are in the title races. But um, and also you've got to say for Liverpool, this they played really badly and they didn't deserve to win. But it's only their second loss of the season, I think. Um, and they they only lost that one at Tottenham since April as well in the league, I think as well. So really, I mean, they they will just write it off as a, a poor result. But I mean. I don't think you can really worry too much for them just yet. It's just the one result for now. So, I mean, as a neutral, we still got a title race where we shouldn't just assume that Man City are going to win. Um, we just have to, I hope, we just hope that it goes down to the wire at the end of the season come May. What do you think Arsenal got right yesterday? You know, what was it that won them the game? I think the first goal really shows that their game plan worked. I mean, when we saw the lineups and it was Havertz up front, no Gabriel Jesus, obviously, because he's injured. Um, I think, well, me personally, I've, I've never really been a fan of Kai Havertz and playing as a false nine. I wasn't really sure about the lineup, but you showed that that first goal was, I think, a beauty, the way they countered. And with Odegaard and Havertz dropping deep, you could see they showed it on Sky Sports, you know. Uh, Van Dijk didn't know whether to come to go in uh, into midfield or not and then Canate was really wide so there's a big hole down the middle down the middle and that really worked very well Odegaard was fantastic and but I think really it was the, the midfield two Jorginho and uh, Rice against uh, Jones McAllister um, and Gravenberg they really they they won that battle I mean it's maybe a bit simplistic to say that that was the reason they won but they were really impressive and Jorginho in particular, again, he's maybe a bit of a divisive player. I don't know if everyone really, despite what he did at Chelsea and everything, when he came to Arsenal, I'm not sure everyone was convinced, but Arteta speaks really highly of him. And you saw in that game, a big game, how calm he was. He was a very big influence there. And yeah, I felt that, that Liverpool really just, they just didn't get into it. They had one shot on target. They were really lucky to go in level at half time. And yeah, Arsenal's game plan, uh, you have to give it to Arteta. It worked really well. They kept getting Martinelli in behind Alexander-Arnold, using his pace, playing straight balls in behind. They look really threatening and yeah, they were a much better team. So on the contrary, what was going wrong for Liverpool? What would you look at them and say, you know, these were the, the, the reasons almost that Arsenal were able to undo them? I mean, was it Arsenal just playing well or were there areas that Liverpool didn't look, you know, quite as strong? I mean, Particularly, you look at, I think it's the second goal where it's a, a really big mix-up, isn't it? Um, even the th- even the third goal, to be fair, you could say was defensively poor. Canati also got sent off as well. It, it looked to me Liverpool were defensively just a lo- far more shaky than what they normally would be. Yeah, it was strange to see. And obviously that second goal, the Martinelli one was, I mean, I'm definitely putting it more down to Alisson's fault than Van Dijk because he's it is there for Alisson to get. And it, Van Dijk's obviously blocking him off. Um, but yeah, you just don't legislate for errors from your your most experienced centre-back and your goalkeeper who's normally just absolutely rock solid. So, I mean, obviously that, and that was the difference really, wasn't it? Because that goal, 
face the game. And like you say, Kanate was sent off. I think going forward, they just, Nunes was obviously not on the, it was on the bench and he's been playing really well recently. That threat in behind, like we were talking about Marcelli, they didn't have that. And Trent Alexander-Arnold really just wasn't influential. We're so used to him seeing just, he put in a couple of good crosses in the first half. And then obviously he was, uh, he was taken off, um, which just showed you that uh, he wasn't really at it. They missed um, Sabozdai as well, driving from midfield. I don't think Gravenberg did anything really notable in midfield. Um, they were just oddly flat, really. Jota has obviously been in great form and he has an amazing record against Arsenal, particularly at the Emirates, where I think he scored five times. Didn't really have a sniff. He, he just... And obviously there's no Salah. So they would just sort of, if you go through their team normally and look at the big players, Van Dijk, Allison, uh, maybe not Sabozla as much, but uh, Nunes, Salah, none of them, they were either playing and didn't play well or were missing. And they shouldn't really have that spark. I don't think Klopp's subs made, I mean, you, you looked at his bench, he did all he could bringing on Robertson and um, Nunes and stuff like that. But yeah, it just didn't, it didn't happen for him. And they were just well beaten, really, but um, which is a bit surprising, like I say, because you're not really used to. It. And they kept showing the graphics, watching on TV, Sky saying that Liverpool were the best team at coming up from behind, scoring late goals. But you never really got that sense. There was never really that nervousness in the crowd. I didn't think either that Arsenal fans really thought that they were going to get that they were going to come from behind. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a strange one for Liverpool, but I don't think Klopp seemed to accept it at the end. And you'd see him on the touchline. He'd, he'd shook Arteta's hand and you know he's just like they just got outplayed do you think it's strange as well coming into this game that the noise around it was very much that Liverpool were going to win you know I think I listened to uh, the overlap the Gary Neville show I don't actually know if it's called the overlap anymore but I listened to that and they were all in pretty much consensus feeling that Liverpool were going to win this game and it felt to me like Football pundits and football fans sort of felt that Liverpool were destined to win this game. And also because they'd had a little bit of a ruby sort of month or so leading into this, but maybe not quite at it compared to the levels that Liverpool are at. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but then I suppose that's all based on evidence. Liverpool had lost once all season. They were great form at the top of the league. Arsenal, although they've won their last two Premier League games over the festive period, they looked really poor up front. Uh, we were talking about how they were lacking a cutting edge, you know, January window, do they need to buy a striker, all of this sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, so I, I think they're sort of valid. Like looking back on coming into the game, I would have, although away at the Emirates is difficult, I, it was good reason to think that, you, that Liverpool might be favourites for it. Um, and I suppose the look at the goals, there's a bit of, we were talking about the, the way Martinelli scored, although he had a really good game, that was just a, a crazy error. And even the last one, Trossard, great miss of skill to get in the box, but it takes a deflection off Van Dijk and goes through Allison's legs. So, I mean, a bit of good fortune about that. And obviously Liverpool's goal was just a freak goal. Gabriel's hand, like, so they were, those things happen. So, I mean, I think it was fair to say that Liverpool were favourites with people, but it's just surprising how, how it went in the end then, because even if it had been an Arsenal win with like a very close game, I think people would have been more expecting that than what ended out being quite a sort of one-sided one-sided game another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's funny watching the Trossard goal because they scored the exact same goal midweek, didn't they? You know, that sort of tight angle through the legs. And I thought it was a... Weird. You don't often see them goals, but seeing them twice in a row was strange. Anyway, we'll we'll switch to Manchester United, who had a, a good weekend. This felt to me like the Manchester United of last season. That they looked like they had a plan. They looked fluid. They looked far more like an Eric Ten Hag side than I've, I've probably seen all season, or certainly that sticks out in the mind. I felt that all year Man United have been just very stale and, and very sort of just functional but not excellent you know they're doing their jobs but nobody particularly standing out whereas yesterday I thought they were really good against West Ham obviously West Ham had chances or Nana pulled off an amazing save in the first half from I think it was a so check header but overall I thought Manchester were really good and this was a, a return to what we saw last season when they finished third it's interesting you're just talking about that. It reminded me of, I remember how many, a few months ago, there was that those stats about how little Anthony and Garnaccio had passed to Hoyland. It was literally in single figures all season. And it was like, you know, one of those moments where like stats proper illuminating. If you think now, like how they're playing, those front three suddenly looking good. I mean, um, Garnaccio obviously scored twice. Hoyland scored another a brilliant goal and he's got four in four games having not scored in the Premier League um, until Boxing Day I, just I think a lot of it can be made of people coming back from injury they've obviously got Luke Shaw back um, Casemiro was in uh, well Martinez was but he, he got injured in that game but I think a lot of when they were doing badly Ten Hag was certainly talking a lot about how injuries had been holding them back which I mean may have sound like a bad excuse. Suddenly now it's looking a bit better. Um, I think it's definitely a lot to do with Hoyland, but having a centre forward that's in great form maybe makes them more uh, trust, trusting to put the ball into him and like get him into the game. That that goal that he scored um, against West Ham was Casemiro winning the ball, but it's essentially just a loose ball a long way out and he produced a bit of skill and smashes it in. I think a lot of it's just confidence, momentum. I know you talk about these sorts of things in football, it's a bit of a, um, funny concept, but there's definitely a bit of that with him. And um, yeah, they, they they looked good, but I'd I'd be wary of sort of getting too excited with Man United too soon. Having what we've seen so far this season, they they're still eight was eight points off the top four, which I mean, I I don't know if you what you'd think would be their level or where they'd want to get to, but top four finish is obviously previously a sort of they have to do that and there's still some way of doing that and they, they're still out of the Champions League and, and no chance in the Cups or the albeit they're still in the uh, FA Cup but yeah um, I don't know it'd be interesting to see I suppose they've got to sustain it before we can really judge where they're at Man United Do you think they've got Aston Villa on Sunday next week away and Aston Villa obviously one of the teams going for the top four I think we'll learn a lot about this Manchester United team in that game because if they can go to Villa Park and put up a good performance and win, they'll be obviously A, close at the top four, but B, I think it would show us their level. Because you're right, I think there's a lot of, if you watch Manchester United, you don't know 
really where they are as a team. I don't know if I look at them and think they're more like Newcastle and Chelsea, sort of them teams who are having off years who are going to finish somewhere between sixth and ninth. Or do I look at them and think, oh, well, actually, maybe they can be more like Tottenham and Villa and push into the top five. I don't know where I see Manchester United this season. And that's why I think this Aston Villa game at the weekend will be so significant because I think that will tell us a lot about where this team is. And also a defeat would probably end any realistic hopes of getting in the top four, whereas a win, I think, would probably, wouldn't put them in pole position for it, but it would put them in a really strong position against the last, especially with Aston Villa sort of drop. I know they won five at the weekend, but th- there's been a drop off at Aston Villa compared to where they were when they were beating Arsenal and Man City, you know, before Christmas. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, that that would be an interesting game. Like you said, Villa last uh, in 2023 were like unbelievable at home, weren't they? So that's definitely not going to be an easy game. And like you say, coming off a 5-0 win, that, that'll be a good uh, sort of thing to see where, they're up, where they are. Certainly got more settled now, haven't they? And um, it's definitely worth giving a mention to Kobe Maynard, who's been really, really good for them recently, um, which is, I suppose, if Man United fans, even if they're going to you know, not have a great season, it's stuff like that that will get them excited because, you know, academy product, still 18, and he's playing really unbelievably well, scored... Um, that dramatic winner uh, against Wolves scored against Newport in the FA Cup. And then, I mean, he's obviously not going to be renowned for his goals, but he, he looks so mature and uh, really impressive in midfield, which I suppose if we're talking about the future for Man United, obviously um, Jim Ratcliffe coming in, Ineos sort of turning everything upside down, um, all, all suggests that they're going to change the way things are being run, especially in the recruitment side. Um, We've been critical of how Man United have recruited before. I think we're going to see them signing younger players with like more potential. And there's talk that you know that they might get rid of some of the higher paid uh, older players like Casemiro, Varane, um, players like that. So if they're going to go to that sort of way, then having someone like Manu already in there who is young and and got this whole like career ahead of him is certainly going to be positive when in the summer they change things around. Yeah, I would, as a Sunderland fan, love to see Ahmad Diallo get a, a run in that Manchester United team. I think it's been criminal. He hasn't even featured in the FA Cup games, but that's a it's a rant for a different day. Uh, we'll switch, though, to Chelsea. Um, it's just one step forward, two steps back all the time with them, isn't it? You know, they got the Carabao Cup final and you're beginning to think, you know, Pochettino, it's, it's turning, you know, that they're going to improve. And they've even had good form recently in the Premier League. And then the drop... Just a, a terrible performance against Wolves, well, a, a stinking performance, really. Um, 4-1 down at one point, you know, against a Wolves team who are decent. You know, I think Wolves are a decent team, but they lost to Manchester United in midweek. And I think that Chelsea probably thought of themselves as being similar to Manchester United, you know, not having a great season, but a decent-ish team. It's just an embarrassing result. I mean... How can it get as bad as it did last season for Chelsea? Or do you think that with Pochettino there, they'll still be able to maintain sort of that top half ninth sort of position? Just to show us how far it's, how bad it is, isn't it? It's like, can they get into the top half? It, they are just baffling to me. The, the, like, the way it's been run, I mean, obviously Pochettino needs to take a lot of the sort of stick for it, but I do think they're a legitimate like grievances with Todd Bowley and the way that they've run the club since they've come in. It's coming up to it'll be two years in May, won't it, since he's come in. So, I mean, 
it's not like, oh, we just need to, you know, get our fee under the table. The, the way that they've recruited has just been sort of bizarre, overpaying for all these players. But the, the excuses just really shouldn't be there. You look at the team they were playing now. It's not like, oh, they're, like, they've got people back from injury. Ben Chilwell is back at left back, who's like a good player. Christopher and Kunku, who they'd been pointing out as, oh, when he gets back, you know, it might make a big difference. And then the midfield two of Moises Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez, both hundred million pound plus midfielders. And they just, they're just baffling. I couldn't believe how bad Chelsea were against Liverpool in their last game defending. And Pochettino then moving players all over the place. Um, at the back, he had a disaster playing a right back. He just doesn't look like a right back to me. And yeah, this Wolves game, they just they just look so vulnerable at the back, don't they? They're and they're not still question can it get worse? I, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. That it's hard to sort of know what's going to happen there. But just and the way that they've got they've got rid of strikers as well. They've loaned out Brogia, and it's like Nkunku. And then when they get Nicholas Jackson back, he'll have him as well. But don't really um, strike much confidence in neither do Mudrick or Sterling or um, Noni Madueke. They're, I don't know. I mean, at Stamford Bridge is proper, the, the atmosphere there at the moment is really quite flat. And we obviously had a few months, and it was the last month from Pochettino to talking about addressing the flat atmosphere and that sort of thing shows a lot you need to know about the sort of vibe at the club. Um, I mean, surely they should finish in the top half. But I mean that is no sort of success. Um, they're just such a hard one to to like guess where they're going to go next. To be honest, you think Pochettino's under pressure because I would say from the outside looking in that him being under pressure is ludicrous. They have had Graham Potter in there who you know couldn't get this ship turned around, and I think over the long term, Mauricio Pochettino probably would turn this around. And I think making a a decision now, which is kind of a decision of passion, not a decision of thought. I don't think would make any sense. But that being said, I also thought the same with Graham Potter last season that you bring in Graham Potter to to sort of develop your football club. Therefore, the results obviously results matter, but the results aren't really what you should be measuring him on at this stage because it's a project at Chelsea. You know, Pochettino needs to be judged probably in sort of the end of next season, in my opinion, the mess that Chelsea have been in. But Hansi Flick was at the game yesterday. He was spotted talking to the Chelsea director. <laughs> you just can't help but sort of make a link there, can you, and think, well, mm. why is he at that game? Why is he talking to important people at Chelsea? Do you think Pochettino's under pressure? Do you think it's fair that he's under pressure? I mean, I, I would definitely say he's under pressure. You work for a club like Chelsea, we, we've seen, like you said, with Graham Potter, when they hired him, it was like, you know, the new era, we're going to bring in all these young players and they do have a young team and a talented team. So you think, you know, you bring in a coach who's renowned for the working with players like that, like he was at Brighton. But, and then they, you know, it was all saying, they give him a five-year contract or something and they talk about how patient they're going to be and how, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then a few months later, it turns a bit and he's gone. So... I mean, I think Pochettino is in a best position just because of who he is and his reputation. He he can sort of handle that pressure a bit more because he's been at Tottenham and Paris Saint-Germain and stuff like that. I think he's got a better chance of sticking it, riding it out than Graham Potter. But 
when you have these the owners that have come in and spent all this money and it's a bit of a play thing really for them um the, the grass is always greener isn't it you meet some other manager and you think well, well what if we changed there you surely think that i mean unless he, it all goes completely like terribly wrong he's at least got to the end of the season i would i would hope just because what difference would it make now bringing in a new manager that this season is not quite a write-off but like they're they're like they're not even in the top half at the moment. There's there's so little reward I would have thought for bringing in a manager when there's still a three months left or whatever. Why not wait till the summer and then if they're going to make a change, then that's when you do it. But I I it's obviously a hard job and he's he's had so many players just like coming through and it, it's just a bit of a mess. But you watch them and they don't really seem like they have a style of play, which is a bit of a concern from Pochettino. Um, there isn't really an identity of how they're wanting to play. They look a bit clueless a lot of the time. So he's definitely under pressure, but it just the situation should should surely mean that they give him some more time. See, I think if I own Chelsea at the, at the start of the season, after seeing how disastrous last season was, the amount of players that they've brought in, I would have said to Pochettino, let's target the cup competitions. And that's what they've done. You know, they're in the Carabao Cup final. Judging off last week, to be fair, they'll probably get murdered <laughs> to play as bad as the against Liverpool. Um, they're still in the FA Cup as well. For me, I think that's what Pochettino should be measured on because they were never, unless something wild happened, you don't see teams going from 13th place or wherever they finished last season, 13th, 14th, into the top four in a season. It just doesn't happen, especially with the turnover of players they've had. And I think that that's the perspective that I would have if I was born in Chelsea because they were... It would be ludicrous. At the start of the season, the pundits, you know, we did pre-season podcasts here on Digest. Nobody had Chelsea in the top four. Nobody had Chelsea really in the top six. I think people thought maybe they could get sixth place if they had a really good year. And I think maybe just a bit of perspective needs to be seen that actually this is a long-term project and getting to the Carabao Cup final, potentially winning that would represent a, a big season for Chelsea. That being said, I am not a billionaire who is putting lots of money into the football club and, um, yeah, who wants results now. But to me, I think Pochettino being under pressure is unfair. I don't know. Would you agree with that assessment or am I just seeing it a bit too? Yeah, I mean, I, I would always err on the side of, you know, giving the manager time. And like you say, they've got a cup final. Well, that's not far around the corner. So you win that and suddenly, you know, it, it would be looked upon as a good season. It, on reflection, you know, say they finish 10th, but win the Carabao Cup final is completely different, isn't it? That that would make such a difference. But I don't know about unfair. Like we've seen that there's just a business, isn't it, now? Um, there'll be more, there'll be managers that have done less bad than him that have been sacked before. So... I think, and especially when it's Chelsea, you just—if there's any club that that are going to do something like that, you'd think it would be them. So, yeah, I mean, I I think they will stick with him certainly for the time being, with the cup final around the corner. Like you say, they're still in the FA Cup, um, and this is only one loss. They would—they had actually been, like you say, in quite good form in the Premier League up until then. So, yeah, it just—it's just the nature of, it, isn't it? The four goals at home to to Wolves, but. Yeah, I think you'll be given more time. Yeah, 
Yeah, if they sacked him now, it'd be like when Spurs sacked Mourinho before the Carabao Cup final. You're like, no, just give him the game. He might win it. Um, we'll switch though to the, the other games at the weekend. The, the best place to start would probably be Newcastle's 4-4 draw with Luton Town. Um, obviously, as a Southern fan, I had a keen eye on that result. And when Luton went 4-2 up, I still had that feeling of, I don't think this will be over. And then you see Newcastle make some changes. By the sounds of it, Dan Byrne, well, actually not by the sounds of it, when you watch the game and see the highlights back, Dan Byrne had a stinging game, you know, was destroyed by Benny for Luton. Um, but defensively, Newcastle just a shambles. You know, going forward, they look all right, but I can't believe that this is the team that last season was pretty much the best defence in the Premier League. And you look yeah. at them now. It is odd, isn't it? Pathetic defensively. And like like you mentioned with Dan Byrne, I remember when he, when he first started playing at left back, everyone was like, nah, you can't be having that, you know, six foot, whatever he is, six, playing a left back, it's not going to work. And then you watched him and you're like, oh, he's actually did really well, get forward all right. And then that was the sort of game against Og Benning, like you said, that you sort of expected to happen more frequently because he's just, he's not athletic enough to get sort of, to to go like on the outside with the winger. Yeah, he got absolutely destroyed, like you said. And yeah, their, their defence has been really bad this season, which you'd like to say is odd because it's basically the same starting back four, Trippier on one side, Byrne, Botman, Shaw. So it is a bit odd for one, like, um, obviously Nick Pope's not in goal and he is better than Martin Dubravka, but can't really put it down to that. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, as a neutral, watching that back, it was great fun, wasn't it? Just 4-4, four, four, um, end-to-end stuff, you know, goals flying in, not knowing what's going to happen. Um, good fun. But yeah, Newcastle have been odd this season. Um, but I, I mean, you it can't be, again, too critical of them. They were in the Champions League this season after a brilliant season last season. So you just got to, I suppose the fans, I, I feel like the fans, they're pretty understanding of where they're at and they have had a lot of injuries this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they shouldn't be conceding four at home to loot and that's for sure. I think as well, you look at the bottom of that Premier League and I think most people would say Sheffield United probably gone, you know, 15 games to go, that 10 points adrift. Burnley, it was a, a good draw at the end for them at the weekend, but I think looking at them, I'd be surprised if they were able to turn around a seven point deficit. Everton off the boil after the points deduction, they did so well and, and they've came off the boil a bit. But Luton, I look at them down there, they're the team that I think of the bottom sort of up to maybe Brentford, 15th place. They're the informed team. They're the team that I look at and think, well, they can they continue what they're doing. There is absolutely no reason why they won't survive pretty comfortably because at the minute they look really, really good. It's like they've they've played that first half of the season and went, right, okay, this is this is what this league's about. And now they've got a plan. You look at Rob Edwards and I, I feel confident with him. I look at him and just compared to Vincent Company, and I, I trust that Rob Edwards can get the, the most out of that Luton team. And I, I think to the surprise of probably everyone, they've got a really good chance of staying up this season. I mean, I may be proven wrong here, but at the start of the season, pre-season's predictions, I think with all the, I'm, not, I'm always a cynic and might well say all three promoted to go straight back down, but I did think that Luton had the best chance just because I'm always wary when clubs buy a lot of players. Luton have a very clear style of play under Rob Edwards and you sort of I think sort of like you know togetherness and a clear plan and that sort of thing is often more more important than recruiting loads of new players and everything and you watch them now and 
I'd, I'd give a shout out to Ross Barkley. It's just been, he's so fun to watch and it's proper like throwback to, you know, the days in his pomp at Everton. I think he's so much fun, like box to box player. Um, he's got all the passes and he scored a few goals as well. He He's playing brilliantly. And yeah, obviously um, they're Carl Morris and Adebayo up front are looking dangerous. Yeah, I'd, 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 I wouldn't be that surprised if they did it. And especially with Nottingham Forest really not looking very good at the moment. Um, they could get dragged into it. So you could have three-way five with Everton as well. Um, yeah, at least uh, hopefully there'll be some intrigue until the end of the season and it won't be, like say, if Burnley and Sheffield United are basically as good as like, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to think they're going to get out. At least we might have, you know, a fight for the final relegation spot um, because, you know, it's never it's never fun when all three are basically confirmed because then it just goes off the boil a bit, doesn't it, towards the end of the season. Yeah, I always prefer a relegation battle over a title race because a title race, you only see Liverpool and Man City going for it. This win every game. It's like not as fun. Whereas a relegation scrap, somebody gets a draw and suddenly it's like, oh, they've picked up a draw you weren't expecting. You've got a battle there. But if you were looking at that relegation scrap right now, um, I'll go through the teams. Palace, 14th place on 24 points. So I've won well for them at the minute. They're, they're really... I think there's potentially a move happening there with Roy Hodgson. Brentford... They've got Ivan Tony back. You'd think that they'll probably pick up and get out of that. I think they've got a decent team. Nottingham Forest in 16th place. We've just mentioned them there. They're struggling. Luton 17th. Obviously talk about them. Then the bottom three. Everton, 19 points. They just feel like they're, they're not where they were. Obviously, we can talk about the bottom two who probably are, are gone. How do you see that playing out though from now at the end of the season? Do you think it could be a surprise that maybe like a Crystal Palace could drop in there? Or do you think you're probably looking at one of Everton, Luton, Nottingham Forest? I mean, I definitely think you can't rule out Palace dropping down there. They're like they're really, really low on confidence. And you saw Michael Elise come on and then do his uh, parable. It looked like he did his hamstring. Him and Ezra, they're just they're they're two best players by a long, long way. And they just they look leaky at the back. Like you say, Hodgson could be well, he's definitely under pressure and he could well be getting replaced. So I mean, they could definitely get dragged into it. And Nottingham Forest, I mean, they're, they're, they're not out of the woods for, by the long shot. And Nuno Espirito Santo has obviously come in there, had a bit of a bounce at the start, but they're, they're a bit of a flaky team. Um, Everton, I, I just trust in Sean Dyche to, to get them safe, basically. I, I would think that they've got enough quality and... They've got a manager again, just a, the clear way of playing. You know, they all know what they're trying to do. Dominic Calvert Lewin is just in awful form, obviously. But we we saw that they they showed fight against Tottenham and covered that game for the Mirror. And they they were they were all right. They they played pretty well, and they they got a ninety fourth minute equaliser. Like they've still got that fight, and they have that that sort of. They've got enough good players, I think that that they're gonna. I think they'll stay up and. So then we're looking at Luton, Forest, Palace, maybe towards for the other place. Like you say, I think Brentford, are, I'm a big fan of Thomas Frank. And like you said, they got Ivan Tony back. Neil Mopai started scoring goals again. I, I, again, I'd, I'd trust in him to, to steer them clear, albeit not by that much, but I think they're greater than some of their parts. I think that they'll, they'll be all right. 
I think as well with Everton, you, you've got the points deduction in there, which could get reduced as well. You know, so we don't know what will happen there, but they would be on 29 points right now, wouldn't they? So they'd be sat in 12th position, two points behind Chelsea. And I think that's the thing for me. I look at on the balance of play, you look at that goal difference, minus four, just far better than anyone else down at the bottom. I think Everton will be all right. But I think Felix, we're out of time. It's been great chatting. Love talking about the relegation scrap in particular it's nice to get into the nitty gritty at the bottom of the league um, but thanks everyone for listening today and thanks everyone for joining us and yeah we'll see you again later this week <laughs>